Hello and welcome to Speak the Words, a Cosmere podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Mango. And this is a podcast where I am slowly but surely walking Mango to the story of the Stormlight Archive and other various Cosmere uh, stuff that is related. This is episode four. We are doing the interludes today, the first set of interludes. Uh, but before we get into that, which there's a lot to get into, uh, what happened last time, Mango? I really feel like it's not a ton, so I, I hope you remember. Shalon woke up on shore, I mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. um, she tried to soul cast fire and came across a stick that just wanted to stay as a stick. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she was unsuccessful. And then she came across some travelers and convinced them to take her to the Shattered Plane. Yeah, specifically the slavers that sold Kaladin at the beginning of the first book. Oh, I did not know it was those people. Yeah, it's the same. It's the slavers oh. that sold him. Yeah. I will say um, that is not the last of familiar faces from Kaladin's story that we will see relatively soon. Well, you mentioned Amaram. Yeah, Amaram is back. That happened last time. Wit comes back eventually. We know that. Uh, yes, that was what happened with Shallan. What happened with Kaladin? Um, he just practiced his powers with the rest of Bridge 4. Oh, yeah. They were talking about, like, Kaladin told, what's his face? Dalinar wanted to reform the Radiance. And this guy was like, um, that sounds like a bad idea. Like, he should not be openly talking about that. And Sil is standing in the background, like, with a madge face. Like, you should be, like... Sil is very pro-Sora telling everybody, and every... Sora, fuck. <laughs> Sora? Yeah. Sorry, I just spoiled book three. It's actually a Kingdom Hearts book. Uh, no. Uh... <laughs> Uh, very pro Kaladin telling everybody, and Kaladin and uh, Teft are very anti him telling everybody. And then at the end of Kaladin's stuff, uh, that's when we met Amaram again. Kaladin uh, saw Amaram as he arrived, and Amaram was like, Yo, Dalinar, bro, what's up? And Dalinar was like, Yo, dude, dat me up. And they were like, Yo, it's been so long. And Kaladin was like, My entire life is falling apart before my eyes again. It's like, I was just getting to a good place. Oh, well, and Alinar mentioned, like, when he met up with Amaram, he was like, I heard you got yourself a, a shard blade. <laughs> yeah. How great is that? And Kaladin's and just tear magic. Like, that was my shard blade. And Amaram is like, yeah, an assassin tried to kill me, and I took it from him. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, I guess that kind of happened. Yeah, he's just pretending that Kaladin didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Asshole. Really, mm -hmm. I really, I, I, if you, if you, if they were ever to like adapt, if they were ever to adapt Stormlight into a TV show and we get to that scene, I would, I would have somebody draw my profile picture doing the Madge face and then put myself next to Kaladin in that scene. Just, just imagining as I watch, just like, I don't like <laughs> you. I hope you choke and die. This week we're doing the interludes, like I said, uh, interludes, uh, the interlude characters, which we went over this last week, but I'll just say them again uh, at the beginning here, are Eshenai, Yim, and Risen. Interlude 1 is titled Narok, and it has 
a new symbol. And I just posted it in our general chat. And that is an Eshonai symbol. Wow. So, uh, I'm just going to immediately start here. The rhythm of resolve thrummed softly in the back of Eshonai's mind as she reached the plateau at the center of the shattered plains. Narak. Exile. Home. She ripped the helm of the shard plate from her head, taking, taking a deep breath of cool air. Other soldiers landed behind her. She had taken some 1,500 this run. Fortunately, this time they'd arrived well before the humans and had harvested the gem heart with minimal fighting. Almost, she wished it had not been so easy a run. Almost. Where are you, Blackthorn? She thought, looking westward. Why have you not come to face me again? She can't join battles because of her, uh, her leg. Her leg is still injured from when Kaladin stabbed her during the Battle of the Tower. She needed to speak with him. She felt an urgency to do so, blowing upon the winds themselves. The soldiers raised hands in farewell as they went their separate ways. Many softly sang or hummed a song to the rhythm of mourning. These days, few sang to excitement or, e- or even to resolve. Step by step, storm by de- storm, uh, depression claimed her people. The listeners, as they called their race. Parshendi was a human term. The listeners? They called themselves the listeners, yes. Eshenai strode toward the ruins that dominated Narak. After so many years, there wasn't much left. The works of men and listeners alike did not last long before the might of the high storms. That stone spire ahead that had probably once been a tower, over the centuries it had grown a thick coating of creme from the raging storms. The soft creme had seeped into cracks and filled windows, then slowly hardened. The tower now looked like an enormous stalagmite. The spire must have had a strong core to survive the wind so long. Other examples of ancient engineering had not fared so well. Eshenai passed lumps and mounds, remnants of fallen buildings that had been slowly consumed by the shattered plains. Eshenai had discovered similar ruins in her explorations, such as the one she'd been on when her people had first encountered humans, only seven years ago, but also in eternity. She had loved those days, exploring a wide world that felt infinite. And now, now she spent her, her life trapped on this one plateau. Eshenai shivered and attuned the rhythm of the lost. She did not attune it for long. Remembering the fallen was important, but working to protect the living was more so. She attuned resolve again and entered the rock. Here, the listeners had built the best home they could during the years of war. Much of the shattered plains had once been populated, but the largest city had been here at the center. So now the ruins of her people made their home in the ruins of a dead city. They had named it Narak, Exile, for it was where they had come to be separated from their gods. Listeners, both Malin and Femalin, raised hands to her as they passed. So few remained. The humans were relentless in their pursuit of vengeance. She didn't blame them. She enters the Hall of Art. The paintings were awful. Eshenai paused beside Varanus, one of her lieutenants. He held the brush delicately between armored fingers, a hulking form before an easel. Plates of chitin armor grew from his arms, shoulders, chest, even head. You are getting better, Eshenai said to him, speaking to the rhythm of praise. He looked to her and hummed softly to skepticism. Eshenai chuckled, resting a hand on his shoulder. It actually looks like flowers, Varanus. I mean it. It looks like muddy water on a brown plateau, he said. Maybe with some brown leaves floating in it. Why do colors turn brown when they mix? Three beautiful colors put together and they become the least beautiful color. It makes no sense, General. General. At times, she felt as awkward in the position as these men did trying to paint pictures. She wore war form as she needed the armor for battle, but she preferred work form. More limber, more rugged. It wasn't that she disliked leading these men, but doing the same thing every day, drills, plateau runs, numbed her mind. She wanted to be seeing new things, going new places. Instead, she joined her people in a long funeral vigil as one by one they died. No, we will find a way out of it. The art was part of that, she hoped. 
By her order, each man and woman took a turn in the Hall of Art at their appointed time, and they tried. They tried hard. No spren, she asked. Not a one. He said it to the rhythm of mourning. She heard that rhythm far too often these days. Keep trying, she said. We will not lose this battle for lack of effort. But General Verana said, What is the point? Having artists won't save us from the swords of humans. Nearby, other soldiers turned to hear her answer. Artists won't help, she said to the rhythm of peace. But my sister is confident that she is close to discovering new forms. If we can discover how to create artists, then it might teach her more about the process of change, and that might help her with her research, help her discover forms stronger even than war form. Artists won't get us out of this, but some other form might. Eshin and I had tried painting. She couldn't think the right way, couldn't grasp the abstraction needed to create art. War form was a good form, versatile. It didn't impede thought like mate form did. As with work form, you were yourself when you were war form, but each had its quirks. A worker had difficulty committing violence. There was a block in the mind somewhere. That was one of the reasons she liked the form. It forced her to think differently to get around problems. Neither form could create art. Mate form was better, but came with a whole host of other problems. Keeping those types focused on anything productive was almost impossible. There were two other forms, though the first, dull form, was one they rarely used. It was a relic of the past before they'd rediscovered something better. That left only nimble form, a general form that was lithe and careful. Few could be spared for that form, though it was more skilled at art. The old song spoke of hundreds of forms. Now they knew of only five. Well, six if one counted slave form. The form with no spread, no soul, and no song. The form the humans were accustomed to. The ones they called Parshman. It wasn't really a form at all, however, but a lack of any form. She leaves the hall and encounters three maid forms who are playing idly in a pool and berates them for being unproductive. What she wouldn't have given to be able to go among them unnoticed to adopt their monochrome skin for a year and walk their highways, see their grand cities. Instead, she and the others had ordered the murder of the Alethi king in a desperate gambit to stop the listener gods from returning. Well, that had worked. The Alethi king hadn't been able to put his plan into action, but now her people were slowly being destroyed as a result. She finally reached the rock formation she called home, a small collapsed dome. It reminded her of the ones on the edge of the Shattered Plains, actually, the enormous ones that the humans called war camps. Her people had lived in those before abandoning them for the security of the Shattered Plains, with its chasms the humans couldn't jump. She ducked through a few rooms, nodding to the people she passed. Venley's associates were scholars, though no one knew the proper form for true scholarship. Nimbleform was their makeshift substitute for now. Eshenai found her sister beside the window of the farthest chamber. Demid, Venley's once mate, sat next to her. Venley had held Nimbleform for three years, as long as they'd known of the form. Nimbleform grew long hair strands with no carapace helm to block them. Venley and her once mate were close, though their time as mates had produced no children. If they'd gone to the battlefield, they'd have been a war pair. Instead, they were a research pair. Something. The things they spent their days doing were very unlistener. That was the point. Eshenai's people could not afford to be what they had been in the past. The days of lounging isolated on these plateaus, singing songs to one another, only occasionally fighting, were over. So, Venley asked to curiosity, we won, Eshenai said. The gem heart is ours. We will continue to eat. That is well, Venley said. And you're human? Dalinar Kalin. He did not come to this battle. He will not face you again, Venley said. You nearly killed him last time. What would you do, sister? Venley asked, if you and this Kalin were actually able to stop trying to kill each other long enough to have a conversation. I'd sue for peace. We murdered his brother, Venley said. We slaughtered King Gavilar on a night when he'd invited us into his home. That is not something the Alethi will forget or forgive. That night. A desperate plan made between herself and five others. She had been part of it despite her youth because of her knowledge of the humans. All had voted the same. Kill the man. 
kill him and risk destruction. For if, it had, if he had lived to do what he told them that night, all would have been lost. The others who had made that decision with her were dead now. I have discovered the secret of storm form, Benley said. What? Esh and I stood up straight. You are to be working on a form to help. A form for diplomats or for scholars. Those will not save us, Venley said to amusement. If we wish to deal with the humans, we will need the ancient powers. Venley, Esh and I said, grabbing her sister by the arms, by the arm. Our gods, Venley didn't flinch. The humans have surge binders. Perhaps not. It could have been an honor blade. You fought him. Was it an honor blade that struck you, wounded your leg, sent you limping? I... We don't know which of the songs are true, Venley said. If the surge binders have returned, we must strive for something meaningful, something that can ensure our freedom. The forms of power, Eshenai. She glanced at Eshenai's hand, still on her arm. At least sit and listen, and stop looming like a mountain. So, storm form, Eshenai said. Enough people of that form, Venley said, could control a high storm or even summon one. I remember the song that speaks of this form, Eshenai said. It was a thing of the gods. Most of the forms are related to them in some way, Venley said. Can we really trust the accuracy of words first sung so long ago? When those songs were memorized, our people were mostly dull form. It was a form of low intelligence, low capacity. They used it now to spy on the humans. Demid shuffled some of the pages. Venley is right, Eshenai. This is a risk we must take. We could negotiate with the Alethi, Eshenai said. To what end? Venley said, again to skepticism. Eshenai, you keep saying you want to negotiate. I think it is because you are fascinated by humans. You think they'll let you go freely among them? A person they see as having the form of a rebellious slave? Centuries ago, Demid said, we escaped both our gods and the humans. Our ancestors left behind civilization, power, and might in order to secure freedom. I would not give that up, Eshenai. Storm form. With it, we can destroy the Alethi army. With them gone, Venley said, you can return to your exploration. No responsibility. You could travel, make your maps, discover places no person has ever seen. What I want for myself is meaningless, Eshenai said to reprimand so long as we are all in danger of destruction. Could the listener's salvation really be in something so terrible? It is the only way, Venley said to Peace. We will bring this to the five, Escher and I. I would have you on our side. I... I will consider. And that is where that chapter ends. So... They fled... The, the listeners fled to escape their gods. They killed Gavilar because they thought he was going to bring their gods back. And... Something he said to them on that night kind of pushed that in that direction, them into that direction to where they got Zeth to kill kill him. Huh. And um, they used to live in the war camps, which I think is a fun little detail. Um, before they, they used got, to live in know. them before um the humans got there, or they used to live in them with the humans. Before the humans got there, I I think they were living in the in the um in them it, when they met the humans, and then after they killed Gavilar, they retreated onto the plains because they were like, mm. "They're gonna fucking come for us. We got to get out of here." <laughs> like, mm. I think it's also interesting that the center of the Shattered Plains, at least, is essentially a city that has been covered in rock over the years of high storms, like depositing this mud that hardens. Interesting. Um, and then the, they mentioned a bunch of forms that they can take war form being what we've seen mostly, um, the fighters, they have a mate form, which apparently makes it hard for them to do anything productive. Um, I'm sure you can guess mate what form. happens in mate form. The way you were pronouncing it made it sound like you were saying maid. 
like oh like I'm sorry I meant a housemate yeah, mate mate form sorry I was like made form so they just clean a lot or no. <laughs> made as in like maiden like oh they can just do whatever Who cares? <laughs> no mate um um dull form which they don't really kind of say what that is but they just say it's like kind of lame um nimble form which they don't say a whole lot about them but they're like they they can grow hair and they um are fast i guess they don't have like armor uh growing out of them how long does it take to change from one form to another we will learn how they change forms later um another mention of an honor blade uh they say that uh Venli is like, we fought, you fought a surge binder talking about Kaladin. And Venli said it could have just been an honor blade. And uh, they talked about, what was the other form? Um, there was another one. So there are... Work form, sorry. People can have the powers of a surge binder if they just have something. It sounds like there is a way to replicate the powers of a surge binder without being a surge binder. Oh, wait a minute. Oh. What are you thinking? So, Kaladin is an actual surge binder because he has a sprint. Mm-hmm. But Zeth doesn't have a sprint, so he would be an honor blade. It, maybe it's not so much that he is an honor blade, but I, I would remind you of the line in this prologue, um, the prologue of this book, where one of the heralds says, that creature bears my lord's own blade. Oh, so he took it from... So it's because of the the... the blade that he has specifically that he has those abilities possibly oh. i think you're on you're on you're on a, a a track there that or he was given the sword for a reason we'll learn we'll definitely learn more about the honor blades oh okay <laughs> um, but uh and then there's slave form which uh is what the parchment are and that's more a form with like or having no form uh is what they say which is confusing, but so what's his face? The the bridge for parchment. He would be slave form, yes. Yeah, but if he had uh, the chance to change forms, he could. That is how this reads. Yes. Oh. Interesting. The second interlude is from Yim. And Yem has just kind of the general symbol that they give to the interlude characters that aren't, like, you know, big and important. Um, mm-hmm. I just posted it again in case you forgot what it looks like, but that's what it is. I did. It's the double I with a bunch of swords. Interlude to Yem. Yem is in his shop trimming a small block of wood. The cobbler had been taught to make the wooden forms himself, so he does. It's the way it's been done for centuries, which is good enough for him. A spren moves in the dimness to his right. It has been coming around more often lately, and Yim has, had never seen one like it before. As it moves, it looks like specks of light, like those from a piece of crystal suspended in a sunbeam. When it stops, light creeps upward from it, like small plants growing, which withdraw when it starts moving again. They talk briefly about the shoes, and that Yim finds himself needing more shoes for children lately. The spren shakes suddenly and warns, He comes. Anxious, Yim stands, stands up looking for the Watcher a man in a military coat, but finds only a child peering through the door. Yim invites the urchin in, whose feet are dirty and scraped. The boy is Irialli, with their characteristic golden skin and hair, and walks with a limp. 
Yim offers him a pair of shoes in exchange for his story. As the boy speaks, Yim cleans his feet to fit the shoes. One of the feet has a nasty cut on the bottom, infected and crawling with rot spread. My friend, Yim whispered, I believe I am going to need your help. What, the urchin I said? Nothing, Yim replied, reaching into the drawer of his table. The light spilling out was just from five diamond chips. He dug more deeply, unfolding a hidden compartment in the drawer and making a more, taking a more powerful sphere, a brome from there, covering its light quickly in his hand while reaching for some antiseptic with the other hand. The medicine wasn't going to be enough, not with the boy unable to stay off his feet. Lying in bed for weeks to heal, constantly applying unexpensive medication? Impossible for an urchin fighting for food each day. Yim brought his hands back, sphere tucked inside of one. Poor child, it must hurt something fierce. Nearby, the sparkling, sparkling light spread peeked out from underneath the stack of leather squares. Yim applied the medication, then set it aside and lifted the boy's foot, humming softly. The glow in Yim's other hand vanished. When Yim removed his hand, the cut had scabbed over, the color returning to normal, the signs of infection gone. So far, Yim had used this ability only a handful of times, and had always disguised it as medicine. It was unlike anything he had ever heard of. Perhaps that was why he had been given it, so the Cosmere could experience it. Hey, the boy said. That feels a lot better. I'm glad, Yim said, returning the, the sphere and the medicine to his drawer. The spren had retreated. Let us see if I have something that fits you. You're really going to give me a pair of shoes, the urchin said? For nothing? Nothing but your story, Yim said. Why? Because, Yim said, you and I are one. One what? One being, Yim said. Long ago, there was only one. One knew everything, but it experienced nothing. And so, one became many. Us. People. The one, who is both male and female, did so to experience all things. One. You mean God? If you wish to say it that way, Yim said, but it is not completely true. I accept no God. You should accept no God. We are Iriali, and part of the long trail, of which this is the fourth land. You sound like a priest. Accept no priests either, Yim said. Those are from other lands. Come to preach to us. Iriali need no preaching, only experience. As each experience is different, it brings completeness. Eventually, all will be gathered back in when the seventh land is attained, and we will once again become one. So you and me, the urchin said, are the same? Yes, two minds of a single being experiencing different lives. That's stupid. It is simply a matter of perspective, Yim said. Please walk on those for a moment. The boy gave him a strange look but obeyed, trying a few steps. He didn't limp any longer. Perspective, Yim said, holding up his hand and wiggling his fingers. From very close up, the fingers on a hand might seem individual and alone. Indeed, the thumb might think it has very little in common with the pinky, but with proper perspective, it is realized that the fingers are part of something much larger, that, indeed, they are one. The urchin frowned. Why do you get to be the finger with the expensive ring, the boy said, while I gotta be the pinky with the broken fingernail? Yim smiled. I know it sounds unfair, but there can be no unfairness, as we are all the same in the end. Besides, I didn't always have this shop. You didn't? No. I think you'd be surprised at where I came from. Please, sit back down. The things you're talking about, the boy said, they sound dumb to me. I mean, if we're all the same person, shouldn't that everyone know this already? As one, we knew truth, Yim said, but as many, we need ignorance. We exist in variety to experience all kinds of thought. That means some of us must know and others must not. Just like some must be rich and others must be poor. More people did know this, once. It is not talked about as much as it should be. Here, let's see if these, here, let's see if these fit right. He handed the boy the shoes, who put them on and tied the laces. Your life might be unpleasant, Yim began. Unpleasant? All right. Downright awful. But it will get better, young one. I promise it. I thought, the boy said, you were going to tell me that life is awful, but it all doesn't, don't matter in the end, because we're going to the same place. 
That's true, Yim said, but isn't very comforting right now, is it? Nope. Yim turned back to his work table. Try not to walk on that wounded foot too much if you can help it. If we're all just the same person trying out different lives, the boy said, you don't need to give away shoes, because it don't matter. You wouldn't hit yourself in the face, would you? If I make your life better, I make my own better. That's crazy talk, the boy said. I think you're just a nice person. He ducked out, not speaking another word. Um, so I'm going to say a thing really quick um, that will be interesting to you. Uh, if people don't want to know anything about any of the secret projects that Sanderson is releasing, skip ahead like 10 seconds or maybe like 15 seconds. Um, this is a minor, minor, minor detail, but skip ahead now. In one of the secret projects that is, it's on another world, they mention the Eerie that used to live there and have left a long time ago. So when this guy mentions this, this is the fourth land, he's being literal. This is the fourth world that the Eerie have been to. I still don't know what the Eerie is, but... It's like a, a people, like a, a, a culture, a um, ethnicity. There's a country in, uh, on Roshar called Eerie. Yim smiled, shaking his head. Spren peeked out again. Thank you, Yim said, for your help. He didn't know why he could do what he did, but he knew the Spren was involved. He's still here, the Spren whispered. Yim looked up toward the window, uh, the doorway out into the night street. The urchin was there. Something rustled behind Yim. He jumped, spinning. Had he perhaps heard a rat? Why was the door into the back room open? He usually left that closed. A shadow moved in the blackness back there. If you've come for the spheres, Yim said, trembling, I only have the five chips left, or uh, chips here. More rustling. The shadow separated itself from the darkness, resolving into a man with dark makabaki skin, all save for a pale crescent on his cheek. He wore black and silver, a uniform, but not one from any military that Yim recognized. Thick gloves with stiff cuffs on the, at the back. Um, this person with the, the, the crescent, the pale crescent on his cheek, uh, one of the was one of the heralds at the um, at Gavilar's feast. He's he's described as having dark skin with a pale crescent like birthmark on his cheek. I had to look very hard, the man said, to discover your indiscretion. I Yim stammered, just five chips. You have lived a clean life since your youth as a carouser, the man said, a young man of no means who drank and partied away what his parents left him. That is not illegal. Murder, however, is. Yem sank down onto his stool. I didn't know. I didn't know it would kill her. Poison delivered, the man said, stepping into the room, in the form of a bottle of wine. They told me the vintage itself was the sign, Yem said, that she'd know the message was from them and that it meant she would need to pay. I was desperate for money. To eat, you see. Those on the streets are not kind. You were an accomplice to a murder, the man said. He spoke with such a stark lack of emotion. I didn't know, Yim pled. You are guilty nonetheless. The man reached his hand to the side and a weapon formed from mist there, then fell into his hand. A shard blade? What kind of co constable of the law was this? Yim stared at that wondrous silvery blade. Then he ran. It appeared that he still had useful instincts from his time on the streets. He managed to fling a stack of leather toward the man and duck the blade as it swung for him. Yim scrambled out into, onto the dark street and charged away, shouting. Perhaps someone would hear. Perhaps someone would help. Nobody heard. Nobody helped. Yim was an old man now. By the time he reached the first cross street, he was gasping for air. He stopped beside the old barber shop, dark inside, door locked. The little spren moved along beside him, a shimmering light that sprayed outward in a circle. Beautiful. 
I guess, Yim said, panting. It is my time. May one find this memory pleasing. Footsteps slapped on the street behind, getting closer. No, the spren whispered. Light! Yim dug in his pocket and pulled out a sphere. Could he use it somehow to... The constable's shoulders slammed Yim against the wall of the barber shop. Yim groaned, dropping the sphere. The man in silver spun him around. He looked like a shade in the night, a silhouette against the black sky. It was forty years ago, Yim whispered. Justice does not expire. The man shoved the shard blade through Yim's chest. Experience ended. And that's the end of the chapter. This dude is, uh, not cool with people committing crimes. Clearly, this man has worked a good portion of his life to, like, become a better person and be kind to people, and yet you're not gonna let him redeem himself in any way? Mm. Yeah. Uh, not a, I, I would not classify uh, this person as a good person. Uh, <laughs> person. The Herald. I thought you were talking about the guy for a second. I was like, what? But, uh, yeah. Um, we'll learn more about them later. Interlude 3, Risen. Risen is traveling with Vistam, uh, who is her teacher, to the Reshi Isles to do trading, but Vistam is very sick. Goo, the flotilla's guide, takes them there, guiding them since the islands move. Risen is quite shocked and amazed when she realizes that the moving islands are huge great shells. The group lands on one of the islands, and Vistam tells Risen that she must go and trade with the Reshi, as, she, as he is too ill to do so. He tells her to be bold, and, and although Risen is nervous, she agrees to do so. Kirilim and Nilent, two of the guards, accompany her as she ascends the island. There, hanging upside down and tied by his feet to a point at the top of the shell, was a lanky man with pale white skin verging on blue. His skin was covered with hundreds upon hundreds of small, intricate tattoos. Risen took a step toward him, but Krillim grabbed her shoulder and pulled her back. Amian, he hissed, keep your distance. The blue fingernails and deep blue eyes should have been a clue. Risen stepped back, though she couldn't see his Voidbringer shadow. Keep your distance indeed, the man said. Always a wise, wise idea. He hung there with a pleasant smile on his face as if completely indifferent to the fact that he was upside down. Is Are this you... the same Amian dude? This is Axes the Collector, yes. Okay. <laughs> Are you well, Risen asked the man. Hmm, he said. Oh, between blackouts, yes. Quite well. I think I'm growing numb to the pain of, to the pain of my ankles, which is just delightful. Amian, very bad luck. She wasn't particularly superstitious, she was even skeptical of the passion sometimes, but, well, this wasn't Amian. What fell curses did you bring on this people, beast, Krillim demanded. Improper puns, the man said lazily, and a stench from something I ate that did not sit well with me. Oh, you have to speak with the king then? I, Risen said, yes. Well, the creature said, don't ask about the soul of their god. They don't like to speak of that, it turns out. Must be spectacular to let the beast grow this large beyond even the spren who inhabit the bodies of ordinary great shells. Hmm. He seemed very pleased by something. They make it to the king, Rol Nah, and as Risen approaches to speak with him, Talik, a reshi trader, comes forward to speak on his behalf. Talik is disappointed that Vistam himself did not come to trade and initially turns her away. Risen is insistent in her trade, wishing to prove herself to Vistam, and the king eventually relents so that, Rista, so that Risen is speaking to the king and not to Talik. The Reshi are opposed to trading with Risen since they do not yet respect her and do not know if they can trust her. The king eventually dismisses Risen, telling her that she did very well. Risen, worrying that Vistam is dying, instead, instead insists on talking to the great shell that is the island, 
Reluna. She slides down the side of the, of the head on a rope and begins to talk with it, pleading her case. Halik attempts to bring her back on, back on the rope, or bring her back to the top of the island, but Reluna takes a bite of the fruit at the bottom of the rope and breaks it, causing Risen to fall. As she crashes into the water, Reluna cushioned her fall, and Risen fell unconscious. Risen wakes up in a hut on the island with her legs paralyzed. She sees Vistam, a Reshi healer, and Talik around her. They scold her for her stupidity, but Risen insists that it was boldness, to allow for the trade. Risen realizes that it was all a test that Vistam had set up for her to trade, and feels foolish. Vistam reveals that the trade was for a Larkin corpse, but that Risen has been granted a live Larkin by the island itself. Vistam and Risen will stay on the island while Risen's legs heal. Um, a Larkin is a little, like, um, kind of crustacean animal, kind of, uh, I'm gonna just post some art of it. Um, was it? Really it wasn't the, the one in that one picture, was it? It is, um, I'm pretty sure... I believe the Larkin is supposed to be in the background of the um, of the Eye of the Almighty. So you remember how you're talking about the dragon thing behind all the symbols on the Eye of the Almighty? Oh yeah, that's a Larkin. <laughs> it looks small. Well, they start small. Uh, uh. We'll see Risen in another book. <laughs> uh -huh. Next book, we'll see Risen. <laughs> um, I'm sure we will. All right, we have one last chapter, Interlude 4, Last Legion, and it has Eshrenai's symbol again. So what kind of spread is it? Thude asked to the slow rhythm of curiosity. He held up the gemstone, peering in at the smoky creature moving about inside. Stormspren, my sister says, Eshrenai replied. Stormspren, Billa said to the rhythm of skepticism. Will it help me kill humans? Otherwise, I don't see why I should care. This could change the world, Billa, es Eshrenai said. If Venli is right, and she can bond with this spren and come out with anything other than dull form, well, at the very least we will have an entirely new form to choose. At the greatest, we will have power to control the storms and tap their energy. So she will try this personally? Thude asked to the rhythm of winds, the rhythm that they used to judge when a high storm was near. If the five give her permission, they were to discuss it and make their decision today. That's great, Bila said, but will it help me kill humans? Eshrenai attuned morning. If Stormform is truly one of the ancient powers, Bila, then yes, it will help you kill humans. Many of them. Good enough for me, then, Bila said. Why are you so worried? The ancient powers are said to have come from our gods. Who cares? If the gods would help us kill those armies out there, then I'd swear to them right now. Don't say that, Bila, I said to reprimand. Never say anything like that. The woman quieted. She hummed softly to skepticism. That walked the line of insubordination. I met Bila's eyes and found herself softly humming to resolve. Thud glanced from Bila to Eshenai. Food, he asked. Is that your answer to every disagreement, Eshenai asked. It's hard to argue with your mouth full, Thud said. I'm sure I've seen you do just that, Bila said, many times. The arguments end happy, though, Thud said, because everyone is full. So, food? Fine, Bila said, glancing at Eshenai. The two withdrew. Eshenai sat down at the table, feeling drained. She picked up the gemstone, staring into its depths. She hated tra trapping Spren. The right way was to go into the high storm with the proper attitude, singing the proper song to attract the proper spren. He bonded it in the fury of the raging storm and were reborn with a new body. People had been doing this from the arrival of the first winds. The listeners had learned that capturing, capturing spren was possible from the humans, then had figured out the process on their own. 
A captive spren made the transformation much more reliable. Before, there had always been an element of chance. You could go into the storm wanting to become a soldier and come out a maid instead. This is progress, Eshenai thought, staring at the little smoky spren inside the stone. Progress is learning to control your world. Put up walls to stop the storms. Choose when to become a mate. Progress was taking nature and putting a box around it. Eshenai decides that she will go see her mother. Then she saw the dull forms. They, mo- they looked much like what the humans called Parshman, though they were a little taller and not nearly as stupid. Still, dull form was a limiting form. There shouldn't have been any here. Had these people bonded the wrong spren by mistake? It happened sometimes. Eshenai strode up to the group of three. They were hauling rock buds har- harvested on one of the nearby plateaus. Plants each had been plants which had been encouraged to grow quickly by use of stormlight-infused gems. What is this? Eshenai asked. Did you choose this form in error? Are you new spies? They looked at her with insipid eyes. Eshenai attuned anxiety. She had once tried dull form. She had wanted to know what their spies would suffer. Trying to force concepts through her brain had been like trying to think rationally while in a dream. Did someone ask you to adopt this form? Eshenai said, speaking slowly and clearly. Nobody asked it, the mail-in said to no rhythm at all. His voice sounded dead. We did it. Why, Eshenai said. Why would you do this? Humans won't kill us when they come, the mail-in said, hefting his rock butt and continuing on his way. The others joined him without a word. She goes to her mother. Child, mother said as Eshenai approached. Child, have you seen your sister? It is her day of first transformation. We need to prepare her. It is attended to, mother, Eshenai said to the rhythm of peace, kneeling down beside the woman. How goes the pruning? I should be finishing soon, mother said. I need to leave before the people who own this house return. You own it, mother. No, no, it belongs to two others. They were in the house last night, and told me I needed to leave. I'll just finish with this shale bark before I go. Eshenai sat back, a tuning morning, and peace left her. Perhaps she should have chosen the rhythm of the lost instead. It changed in her head. She forced it back. No, no, her mother was not dead. She wasn't fully alive either. Here, take this, Mother said to Peace, handing Eshenai a a file. At least Mother recognized her today. Work on that outcropping there. I don't want it to keep growing downward. We need to send it up, up toward the light. The storms are too strong on this side of the city. Storms? Nonsense. No storms here, Mother Mother paused. I wonder where where we'll be taking your sister. She'll need a storm for her transformation. Don't worry about that, Mother, Eshenai said, forcing herself to speak to Peace. I will care for it. You are so good, Venli, Mother said. So helpful. Staying home, not running off like your sister. That girl. She's never where she should be. She is now, Eshenai whispered. She's trying to be. Once, this woman had one of the best memories in the city. She still did, in a way. Mother, Eshenai said. I need help. I think something terrible is going to happen. I can't decide if it is less terrible than what is already happening. Our people are crumbling. We're being weathered away. We moved to Narak and chose a war of attrition that has meant six years with steady losses. People are giving up. That's not good, Mother said. But the alternative? Dabbling in things we shouldn't? Things that might bring the eyes of the unmade upon us? You're not working, Mother said. Don't be like your sister. Eshenai placed her hands in her lap. This wasn't happening. This wasn't helping. Seeing Mother like this. Mother, Eshenai said to supplication. Why did we leave the dark home? Ah, now that's an old song, Eshenai. A dark song. Not for a child like you. Why, it's not even your day of first transformation. I'm old enough, mother. Please. Had she forgotten, finally, this last part of what she had been? Eshenai's heart sank. Long are the days since we knew the dark home, mother sang softly to one of the rhythms of re- remembrance. 
the last legion. That was our name then. Warriors who had been set to fight in the farthest plains. This place had once been a nation and was now rubble. Dead was the freedom of most people. The forms unknown were forced upon us. Forms of power, yes, but also forms of obedience. The gods commanded and we did obey. Always. Always. Except for that day, Eshrenai said along with her mother in rhythm. The day of the storm when the last legion fled, mother continued in song. Difficult was the path chosen. Warriors touched by the gods are only choice to seek dullness of mind, a crippling that brought freedom. Daring was the challenge made, when the last legion abandoned thought and power in exchange for freedom. They risked forgetting all, and so songs they composed, a hundred stories to tell, to remember. I tell them to you, and you will tell them to your children until the forms are again discovered. From there, Mother launched into one of the early songs about how the people would make their home in the ruins of an abandoned kingdom, how they would spread out, act as simple tribes and refugees. It was their plan to remain hidden, or at least ignored. Esher and I stood to leave her mother singing. I found some of your things, Mother said, when cleaning today. You should take them. They clutter the home, and I will be moving out soon. Esher and I hummed mourning to herself. Esher and I found a small sack in front of the building. She opened it to find paper. Paper made from local plants, not human paper. The ink on it was beginning to fade, but Esher and I recognized the drawings. My maps, she thought, from those early days. Without meaning to, she attuned remembrance. Days spent hiking across the wilderness of what the humans called Natanatan. Passing through forests and jungles. Drawing her own maps and expanding the world. She'd started alone, but her discoveries had excited an entire people. Soon, though still in her teenage years... She'd been leading entire expeditions to find new rivers, new ruins, new spread, new plants, and humans. In a way, this was all her fault. Her mother started singing again. Looking through her old maps, Esher and I found a powerful longing within her. She was dying slowly, as surely as her, her people were. She leaves to go meet with the rest of the five. The listeners had made a decision centuries ago, a decision that set them back to primitive levels. Choosing to murder Gavilar Colin had been an act to affirm that decision of their ancestors. Esher and I had not been one of their leaders, <clears throat> had not then been one of her leaders, but they had listened to, the, to her council and given her the right to vote among them. The choice, horrible as though it seemed, had been one of courage. They'd hoped that a long war would bore the Alethi. Esher and I and the others had underestimated the Alethi greed. The Gemharts had changed everything. She found the other members of the five waiting for her, one member wearing each known form. Esher and I for war form, Davim for work form, Abroni for mate form, Chivi for nimble form, and the quiet zone for dull form. Benley waited as well. I am worried about this test, Eshrin I said. I do not think we should allow it to proceed. What? Benley said to anxiety. Sister, don't be ridiculous. Our people need this. Devim leaned forward, arms on his knees. If this works, it will be an amazing advance. The first of the forms of ancient power, rediscovered. Those forms are tied to the gods, Eshrin I said. What if, in choosing this form, we invite them to return? Benley hummed irritation. In the old day, all forms came from the gods. We have found that nimble form does not harm us. Why should storm form? It is different, Eshrin I said. Sing the song. Hum it to yourself. Its coming brings the gods the, the gods their night. The ancient powers are dangerous. Men have them, Abronai said. You yourself bring us, brought us the report, Eshrinai, Abronai continued. You saw a warrior among the Alethi using ancient powers, and many others confirmed it to us. Surge bindings have returned to men. The spread again betray us. If surge bindings are back, Devim said to consideration, then it might indicate that the Scods are returning anyway. If so, we'd best be prepared to deal with them. Forms of power will help with that. We don't know they will come, Eshrin I said to resolve. We don't know any of this. 
Who knows if men even have surge bindings? It might be one of the honor blades. We left one in Alethkar that night. Chivi hummed to skepticism. We are fading as a people. I passed some today who had taken dole form and not to remember their pa our past. They did so because they worried that men would kill them otherwise. They prepare themselves to become slaves. I saw them too, Divim said to resolve. We must do something, Eshrenai. Your, your soldiers are losing this war, beat by beat. The next storm, Benly said. She used the rhythm of pleading. I can test this as the next storm. Eshrenai closed her eyes. We must be unified in this decision, Divim said. I will accept nothing else. Eshrenai, do you insist on objecting? Will we need to spend hours here making this decision? She took a deep breath, coming to a decision that had been working its way through the back of her mind. I will agree to this test, Eshrenai said. Nearby, Venli hummed to appreciation. However, Eshrenai said, continued, continued to resolve, I must be the one who tries the new form first. All humming stopped. The others of the five gaped at her. What? Venli said. Sister, no. It is my right. You are too valuable, Eshrenai said. You know too much about the forms and much of your research is held only in your head. I am simply a soldier. I can be spared if this goes wrong. You are, you are a shard bearer, Divim said. Our last. Dude is trained with my blade and plate, Eshrenai said. I will leave both with him, just in case. The others of the five hummed to consideration. This is a good suggestion, Abroni said. Eshrenai has both strength and experience. It was my discovery, Benley said to irritation. And you are appreciated for it, Divim said. But Eshrenai is right. You and your scholars are too important to our future. More than that, Abronai added, you are too close to the project, Venli. The way you speak makes that clear. If Eshenai enters the, enters the storms and discovers that something is off about this form, she can halt the experiment and return to us. This is a good compromise, Chivi said, nodding. Are we in agreement? I believe so, Abronai said, turning towards Zoln. I agree to this, Zoln said. And they all leave. I nearly had cause to hate you, sister, Venli said to reprimand. I did not forbid this test, Eshrenai said. Instead, you take its glory. If there is glory to be had, Eshrenai said to reprimand, it will be yours for discovering the form. That should not be a consideration. Only our future should matter. Venli hummed to irritation. They called you wise, experienced. It makes one wonder if they've forgotten who you were, that you went off recklessly into the wilds, ignoring your people, while I stayed home and memorized songs. When did everyone start believing you were the responsible one? It's this cursed uniform, Eshrenai thought. Why didn't you tell us what you were researching? You let me believe your studies were to find art form or meditation form. Instead, you were looking for one of the forms of ancient power. Does that matter? Yes, it makes all the difference. Benly, I love you, but your ambition frightens me. You don't trust me, Benly said to Betrayal. You, we'll see what this form does, Eshrenai said. Then we will talk further. I just want you to be care. I just want to be careful. You want to do it yourself, Benly said to irritation. You always want to be first. But enough. It is done. Come with me, I will need to train you in the proper mindset to help the form work. Then we will pick a high storm for the transformation. Eshenai nodded. She would go through this training. In the meantime, she would consider. Perhaps there was another way. If she could get the Alethi to listen to her, find Eleanor Colin, sue for peace. Perhaps then, this would not be needed. And that is the end of the chapter. We are... They, they talk about um, having fled their gods a long time ago. So... The gods were mistreating them, so they abandoned them, and they don't want the humans to bring the gods back, but the humans are trying to bring the god uh, stuff back to protect against um, much worse stuff happening. 
Mm. So it's interesting. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's it's all it's all very complicated. I'm very excited that we now know that they are the listeners. Um, because I the the word parshendi kind of bothered me because like they said at the beginning it's a human term and it's really only like I think they say in one of the earlier chapters that it literally just like translates to parchment who can like think like parchment that can speak um or they, no parchment can speak so it's just parchment that can think um so like yeah it's it's not a great way to refer to them so um, they're not void bringers but Shalom thinks they are well and uh, I'm not saying they're not void bringers. I'm saying that that is what Shalon has decided that these people were the void bringers. And uh Well, technically Yasna decided and then, and told, then just yeah. told Shalon. But Shalon also said that she went through Yasna's research and like she believes as well. She's not just following on faith. Um and and uh yeah. I mean, these people talk about how like they say the gods forced forms on them and that they Wait, try, they let oh so maybe the void bringer is just one form of them and it was forced on them to purge humans maybe maybe and that's what the desolations were was the void or the listeners were forced to become void bringers and destroy humans. I like where your head's at. Definitely there's definitely interesting things happening with the with the void bringers, or at least even the idea of void bringers and what they were and hmm. who they are today. Um Yeah. Um I'm really happy we finally got to a a listener point of view because I yeah. I think they're fascinating. They are. I wonder if if they did ever do the um like a show or a movie how they would do the talking to different rhythms. Yeah. And cuz they'd have to come up with not just rhythms but like songs and stuff for them to yeah. speak and hum to and I just think that would be really interesting. I mean it's like Game of Thrones like they brought in the linguist to like create Dothraki. And like as like a as like a like a language like, um, mm -hmm. so like you bring in like a I guess a musician or somebody to come up with rhythms and, and that would be this is the rhythm of mourning and this is the rhythm of whatever skepticism. Mm -hmm. Well, they'd also have to bring in a linguist for the um the language that yeah the humans hear. They have to hear well not only the language that the um listeners speak that the humans hear but also the language that dalinar speaks when he's having his vision yes because um because he's uh navani said that he's speaking in the, like uh, the dawn chant whatever language yeah. that that is um man now i really want this because it would be so interesting even not even just like for the story itself but just b because of all of the different creative and stuff. things that they'd have to do for mm. the show mm -hmm. and i feel like it would just break ground for a lot of um media creation type stuff 
and would be very unique, even if it hadn't had anything to do with the story or anything to do with Brandon Sanderson, just the stuff they'd have to do for the show itself would be Mm -hmm. worth seeing. And I mean, visually as well. Yeah. Like what you're saying, creating the Parshendi, the listeners creating Roshar. Like you'd have to do so much CGI to create the world of what's really cool. And I mean, Sanderson has said this himself is that like, he, like he has said, He's keeping a really sharp eye on um, the stuff they use on the Mandalorian. That stagecraft yeah. stuff. Yeah. Or the, the, what was it called? The big, like, round screen. I forgot what it's called. That's, like, an uh, entire, like, round area of LED lights or, like, a screen the, that they The can one they use, use on the Mandalorian? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's called, oh, God, what do they call it? Um, it's it's called well stagecraft is the actual like that's the technology um yeah but they call it um uh the volume is what they call it yeah that yeah no he said like he said he's keeping a really sharp eye on what they're doing on the mandalorian with the volume because like he's like that would be perfect for Mm -hmm. making a stormlight show um also, just all of, all of the, like, costume design that would have to go into yeah. this and, like, the oh. makeup artistry, the, the computer animation, all of the creative elements that would have to go into creating the show is just mind-blowing to think of. It's, yeah. like, it almost, not quite, but almost beyond Star Wars, because in Star Wars, they don't deal with the language as much. Yeah. Like they have songs, but it the songs are not like included in the actual story, I guess. Mm-hmm. I really can't wait as we go on, like to keep showing the interior art and stuff to you. Uh-huh. Because like eventually, I mean, in this book, there's gonna be some fashion art. Ooh. Um, that we're gonna see of like a different kind of uh different uh cultures fashions and stuff we're gonna see some really cool stuff mm-hmm. i now i just really want this to exist as like a show or a movie or something just for the sheer like world of creativity that would have to go into it all you blended together both. <laughs> oh. i would i would very much love that Well, yes. and, they, and they'd have to get creative with, like, how they're doing the people. Because not... Yeah. The people aren't, like, all, they don't match. like, Asian. No. Technically. But they all have epicanthic folds. That's the one thing I would be worried about, is, like, mm-hmm. towing the line between what would be considered cultural appropriation and offensive, but also staying true to, like, the source material. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely I I think it's a um I think they'd have to drop the eyes thing. Yeah, they might. I I really just I, they would probably do neat. some other thing or maybe they would all have like hooded eyes or something but not mm-hmm. like epicanthic folds. Yeah, it's a neat thing, but um I just I don't see how practically you can do that. 
Well, I know how practically they could do it. I'm just yeah, yeah. saying. Without it coming across. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know you yeah. mean. Yeah. They'd um, have to consult with a lot of people about that. And like yeah. openly like, this is not us trying to make fun of a culture. This is just, they all have this feature. This is just this is what, they, what they look like. Yeah. Um. So yeah, next week we're going to start on part two, mm-hmm. uh, which is titled Wind's Approach. And uh, the viewpoints for the next uh, part are going to be Shallan, Kaladin, Adolin, and Sadius. Mm. Uh, last part, we got a bunch of Dalinar POVs. Wait, Sadius. <laughs> and this next part, we're going to have a bunch of Adolin POVs. Fucking Sadius. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. I, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, meeting the listeners today. I did. All right. Um, you guys can follow this show on Twitter at SpeakStormlight. You can email us at speakthewordsasp at gmail.com. Uh, you guys can join our Discord. The link to do so is in the uh, episode description, and it's also a pinned tweet on our uh, on our Twitter page. You can uh, find Sean at SeanAFK on Twitter. I was Sean underscore AFK. You caught it. Good job. <laughs> And our cover art was made by our good friend Alps, um, who I have to talk about. I have to talk to. Because um, I know they're back on Twitter, but I don't know if they want like their Twitter mm-hmm. account being promoted and stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if they want to keep it low-key. So I got to talk to them first. But um, if they say they want uh, the link to that, uh, it'll be in the uh, description. Um, if not, if you want to get in touch with them, I can probably, you know, put something together. Um, uh, I think I said the first idea last time, right? Life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination.